this was a very convenient coincidence for anybody who cares about internal control over financial reporting and about risk management generally. The backstory is that several weeks ago in August, the SEC's chief accountant, Paul Munter, he published a statement that basically urged companies and audit firms alike to do better with risk assessments. That was Matt Kelly. This is Tom Fox, and we'd both like to welcome you to this episode of Compliance into the Weeds. Today, we take up the SEC's newfound interest in risk assessments and a recent enforcement action, which found deficiencies in a risk assessment led to deficiencies in a control environment, the plug power case. I know you'll enjoy and appreciate this episode. The award-winning Compliance into the Weeds is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, back again with Matt Kelly for another episode of the award-winning Compliance into the Weeds. Welcome back, Matt. Hello, Tom. Matt, in a fairly short order, probably no doubt following the lead of radical compliance yet again, uh, the SEC ha- had some remarks around the importance of risk assessments. And then after you blogged about that, we had an enforcement action for that topic popped up. And I thought it'd be a great uh, exploration for us in this episode. So could you set us up with what Paul Mentor said and then how you saw it play out in a recent enforcement action? Sure. So this is a very convenient coincidence for anybody who cares about internal control over financial reporting and about risk management generally. Uh, The backstory is that several weeks ago in August, the SEC's chief accountant, Paul Munter, he published a statement that basically urged companies and audit firms alike to do better with risk assessments. And he called out two big themes. Um, He said that, number one, we should be looking at small, uh, non-material, quantitatively non-material control failures for small amounts of money that wouldn't be relevant to the financial statements. We should still be looking at those because you could have a series of non-quantitatively material or, I suppose, quantitatively immaterial control failures that might still add up to a qualitatively material control issue. Uh, For example, if you have a repeated number of small adjustments to prior financial statements, they're so small they're not worthy of a restatement, but if they happen often enough, that could be an indicator that you have some deeper financial reporting issues that are qualitatively material to investors. He wanted to think about that. Uh, He also wanted uh, auditors and companies to think about control failures not directly related to the financial statements that might still be qualitatively material. Again, uh, for example, if you have repeated control failures in your ERP system that are not related to the financial reporting applications, well, you still have issues with your ERP software. So does that mean you are not managing your software well overall? Because that could therefore imply that you might not be managing your financial software all that good or all that well either. So take a more expansive view of what could constitute a qualitatively material control issue 
that should be disclosed to investors. Think more broadly about what the risks are here. Um, and then he also talked a bit about whether there are, if you have a, a, a an entity level failure in the control environment, that might be the root cause. So what he, I'll give you an example here. If you see repeated weaknesses or deficiencies in your IT general controls, not related to financial reporting, but you know, you're not patching your software all that promptly. You don't have a really stellar IT staff or the controls over who can change and update your IT systems. Those are a bit weak. That doesn't really have anything to do with the, the, I, the financial reporting directly. But it could be an indicator that management doesn't take internal control all that seriously. It is a failure of the control environment, and that is ha something that happens at the entity level. And he wanted people to think about that. You know, do a root cause analysis on your various financial reporting failures or internal control failures. And if you do enough of a root cause analysis, might you find that actually you have a flaw in your control environment which is really much more of something that has to be addressed at the board or senior management level for the whole enterprise. That's what Paul Munter was saying with his statement a couple of weeks ago. And he just said it on a Friday afternoon. You know, he only had said, we had seen recently, we are disturbed to see, that's a phrase the SEC uses a lot here. We are disturbed to see examples of what Munter was talking about. Um, and he left it there. And then Tom, a couple of weeks later, Last week, we saw an enforcement action from the Securities and Exchange Commission involving an alternative fuel business called Plug Power. They make hydrogen fuel cells for corporate customers. Uh, they were dinged by the SEC for accounting improprieties, not fraud, but just a lot of errors. And lo and behold, really, the root cause of the issues for Plug Power were poor risk assessments and entity level weaknesses in the control environment. So this case, I don't know if Munter made his statement knowing this case was afoot. I don't know if he made this case statement because of this case, but this case we just saw with Plug Power really demonstrates at a practical level, everything that Munter had been saying about risk assessments that were not expansive enough, not thorough enough, not looking at the control environment, not thinking about entity level controls. That's nice to say in theory, and we could talk the theory all day long, but along comes plug power now, which really demonstrates this in actual living practice. And Matt, that's uh, really what struck me when I read the plug power blog post, if I can say that without twisting my tongue too much. But there was some other information that uh, also struck me as significant, uh, even in the non-regulated space, and it started with uh, your notation on insufficient complement of trained resources. How does that work into the plug power enforcement action? Yeah, it does. And let me back up and talk a little bit about what plug power actually got in trouble for. So this was a case that was settled where uh, plug power neither confirms or contests nor denies um, the charges brought by the SEC. But the SEC had alleged that uh, the, they had control issues, and they did. Plug Power had to restate its financials for 2018, 2019, and into 2020. Um, the company also agreed to make a raft of compliance and internal control improvements, 
It paid a 1.25 million civil fine. Uh, interestingly, it, uh, if the internal control improvements it has agreed to make are not made within one year, then Plug Power must pay an additional $5 million on that civil penalty on top of the $1.25 million it is paying now. But really, what happened here is that uh, Plug Power messed up its financial reporting, and it had some very complicated leaseback transactions, some complicated loss accruals, and it didn't record those transactions correctly. So the long story short is that when Plug Power restated its financials, it came out that it had overstated the value of its leased assets by $112 million. It had overstated gross profits by $40.7 million. It had understated loss accruals by $6.9 million. And when you're a company with roughly $230 million in annual revenue, like that's a big deal. So uh, the SEC had taken them to task over this. And what's interesting is that when Plug Power finally published its restated financials, it had included an explanation of how did we mess up the first set of financials in the first place. It said this, and I will quote from it. The company did not maintain a sufficient complement of trained, knowledgeable resources to execute their responsibilities with respect to internal control for certain financial statement accounts and disclosures. As a consequence, the company did not conduct an effective risk assessment process that was responsive to changes in the company's operating environment and did not design and implement effective process level control activities. So what this really means, Tom, is that Plug Power hadn't maintained the sufficient number of staff or other outsourced resources Either they didn't have enough of them, they weren't skilled in these financial transactions or both, but they didn't have enough of the right manpower to conduct a good risk assessment and figure out our controls for these processes here that we engage in are weak, we should fix them. They didn't do that. And the processes that they were at fault for were all about lease transactions, uh, accounting for loss accruals and various other measures that were exactly what led to the restatement. So we have this entity level failure in the control environment, having a good amount of staff who then, because of that failure, they couldn't do the risk assessment they should have. And they missed that they were weak on some processes. Those processes then went haywire and that led to inaccurate financial restatements or financial statements. So that's how this all ties together, about the control environment, who's in charge of it, how do they do a, a risk assessment, and what comes of that a risk assessment at a more granular level to assure that we are reporting the right things to investors. All of that went sideways with Plug Power. Um, they are now trying to rectify it, and we can talk about how they're trying to rectify it, but it is a good flesh and blood example of all of the theory that Munter had talked about two or three weeks earlier. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but is that a level of deep dive or detail from the Securities and Exchange Commission into the personnel involved in a compliance or compliance-related function that we typically see? Well, I don't know how deep that uh, they did dive. We see this from time to time. We used to see it a lot more often, but really what we're talking about is a weak control environment. And what does that mean? Well, here's the thing. So the control environment as defined by COSO, 
with its framework for effective internal controls. It lists a couple of different principles that management and the board should be following to have a strong control environment. And one of them is principle four, which states, and again, I'll just read right from it, the organization demonstrates a commitment to attract, develop, and retain competent individuals in alignment with its objectives. So that means you hire enough staff who know what they're doing to be able to achieve everything that you say you want to do, like proper financial reporting. Um, now, way back in the early days of Sarbanes-Oxley compliance, and we're showing our age here, Tom, because you and I were both there, but in the mid-2000s, you saw this gigantic uptick in financial restatements as all sorts of companies were looking at their internal control for the very first time with any rigor, found it was a total mess. And one of the big things that you would see go wrong is a poor control environment, which basically is the company admitting we don't have the right people, we don't have enough people, we weren't serious about this, we weren't committed to hiring the right people. You saw a significant fraction of restatements mentioning a poor control environment back then. That has since receded because in the 15 or so years since then, companies really have understood SOX compliance is for real, we need to take this seriously, we need to hire good people, we need to pay attention to financial reporting, and they generally have. So it is rare now to see a failure of the control environment turn up as an explanation for restated financials. Um, I don't know exactly how closely the SEC got into Plug Power's hair trying to figure all of this out. But nonetheless, we do have this here from Plug Power. They flat out did state and good for them for admitting it that they hadn't retained a complement of trained, knowledgeable staff or a sufficient number of them. That's a violation of COSO's principle four, which is all about a control environment. If you have a material weakness in the control environment, I would say almost by definition, that is an entity level control failure because it's the board and management not making a commitment to, we're going to get this right. doesn't matter how much it costs. We have to have enough trained, competent financial staff. And Plug Power didn't. And they said that in the 10K. And so now they're correcting it. They have hired several dozen uh, accounting and finance staff since then. So that's a good step in the right direction. I should note that when this restatement happened, Plug Power was making about $230 million in annual revenue. They're making much more now. They have gone on a big, big uptick in growth since then. So partly this has to happen because they are just getting bigger. But um, that is, you know, how this all ties together. You know, what is the control environment? What does that actually mean? What does a failure in that look like? This is what a failure in that can look like. It can look like it when you don't have enough staff because you're not committed to hiring enough staff. When you don't, they do things like flawed risk assessments, and then they make mistakes like missing certain controls that aren't designed properly. And then you wind up with failed or faulty leaseback transactions or loss accruals, and suddenly you're restating financials, and here we are. Can we draw any lessons or tease out anything for the non-regulated industry corporate world that they should draw from this case or something that other regulators such as the Department of Justice might find interesting from this enforcement action? Well, I, I think that this enforcement action is a good exercise. It's good. It's worth a compliance officer's time because it does show how you could get a risk assessment wrong. 
you could get it wrong by not hiring enough staff to do the job right. But that doesn't mean that's the only way you could do the risk assessment wrong. That's not the only way that you could fall into this trap. This is the easiest low-hanging fruit for us to get our hands around. You know, how could you screw up a risk assessment? Well, you know, we got two people for a $30 billion company. Yeah, you're going to screw up your risk assessment because you don't have enough people to do it or to know what's going on. But there are other ways that you might get a risk assessment wrong or misfocused or just not looking at the right things. That's the question internal control and compliance officers should ask. How could we get our risk assessment wrong? Okay, insufficient staff is one example, but you might have other examples such as, let's say the board reshuffles the composition of its uh, directors and they downgrade the expertise of the audit committee. Now the audit committee is supposed to have at least one financial expert, that is a vague term, under securities law. It doesn't actually say thou must be a, a chief accounting officer or thou shalt have a retired big four audit partner. It doesn't say that. It just says financial expert. Maybe you had two or three financial experts and now they've reshuffled the board. Now you're down to only one who may not be as expert as some others. That could lead to a flawed control environment and therefore maybe a flawed risk assessment because you're in a weaker position to get these things done. Um, you could have management reshuffle internal operating relationships in such a way that a strong control environment uh, gets shoved to the back seat. Uh, let's say, for example, the company hires a really hard-charging IT director, but also has a very weak or immature CFO. That's a bad combination because the CFO might not be able to stand up to the IT director to say, we shouldn't be doing this. Our IT general controls are a mess. We're expanding way too fast. We need to stop everything while I get internal financial reporting processes locked down. If there's not a strong CFO to make that argument, but there is a strong IT director to say, whatever, we're going to ignore finance and do this. That's not a good uh, control environment either. And it can then lead to all sorts of risks that you might not necessarily see. Um, there could be perfectly innocent ways that you have a bad control environment or a flawed risk assessment. You know, when the company is desperate for growth and tries a very rapid strategy shift, um, moving into emerging markets or selling services in addition to products, or you cut costs by embracing cloud-based services, that's all plausible. But if you are rushing into it, then maybe the staff won't know what those risks are. And then, then we get into the Munter problem of it's a flawed risk assessment and you're missing things that you should be catching and then suddenly mistakes happen, whether that's restated financials, it's an FCPA violation you don't know you have, it's a data privacy violation or some other thing. Um, but all of it, Tom, all of the examples that I just enumerated here, they all trace back to the question, compliance officers should ask, how could we get our risk assessment wrong? It's not just about insufficient personnel. There are other ways you could get the risk assessment wrong. I don't know them all, but that's the, the thought experiment that companies should be engaging in. You know, I don't think that's something that compliance professionals consider much or even if at all, but so that's a, a great thought experiment and something that, uh, 
compliance CCOs really ought to start thinking about going forward. Indeed. This is Tom Fox again. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the award-winning Compliance Into the Weeds. We've linked to Matt's blog posts on this topic in the show notes. I hope you will check out the blog post for more information. I also hope you will listen to some of the new podcasts on the Compliance Podcast Network. We premiered a podcast uh, with Richard Blundell on sustainability, the business opportunity of the 21st century, Fox on podcasting, where I take a meta look at podcasting and compliance and AI. We are also developing some additional new shows, which will premiere in July. It's quite an exciting time on the Compliance Podcast Network. If you'd like to be a part of the Compliance Podcast Network, please give me a shout. I'm available at tfox at tfoxlaw.com. Thanks so much for listening. We look forward to visiting with you again. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.